Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and my guest today is the wonderful friend who's full of life at 90 years old and still kicking, Yvette Lavea Graham. She is walking history, I've always said about her, and living proof of living a good life. She's also, among other things, a master gardener. You know, we're told to uh, shelter in place and uh, stay at home, stay six feet away from each other. And now, most recently, don't go to the grocery store or the pharmacy unless absolutely essential. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are having thoughts of how do we get through this? How long is it going to last? What do we do? And Yvette and I have some uh, have some ideas. But let's start with Yvette. You have always, as far as I know, forever been interested in gardening and you told me the other day on the phone that you just go out into your garden and you would just come and you eat flowers well uh, <laughs> that one you hadn't told oh, me before but but you yes that's true and but tell us uh, why w- w- this interest in gardening how did that come about Fortunately, my mother and father picked out a humdinger. Yes. And one of the things that we did one fall was to tap. There were a lot of maple on Long Island. There were a lot of maple trees. Uh-huh. And we, one of our little classes, we would go out and tap maple trees. Hmm. And when we collected a bunch of that, we had to tap them. And we had to do all the things that you can't remember when you're 90. Um, <laughs> and then we cooked it all down. And we all had our own maple syrup on our pancakes Sunday morning. And I thought, what are you doing that fun? You could Look at the things that you can eat outside. Look at what's going on outside. Well, that got put in the back shelf, I guess, for a bunch of years because I had to learn the ABCs and how to write and how to... I, too, played the piano. As a matter of fact, I played uh, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with arthritis, you can't do that anymore. At any rate, uh, I got off and doing other things and got through one husband's life. And then after the second one retired, 
we had come home from Japan about Christmas time. Of course, we had to have a Christmas tree. We had two children. Mm-hmm. So we went out in the farm is in Maryland and to buy a Christmas tree. And we didn't, we, we said, we'll take that to him. said, fine, that would be $75. And my husband said, really? Yeah. So we thought, it helped, it So we, I mean, we sat home and did some figuring and whatnot. And the following year, we put in 20,000 Christmas trees yeah. on the farm because we had enough land for it. So that brought me back into it. Mm. But it was not just that because, oh, things taste so much better if you go to the farmer's market, right? Well, I didn't have to go to the farmer's market. We just walked down the hill and put in an enormous garden. You know, anything that's worth doing is worth overdoing, my husband always said. <laughs> so that we were putting like 20 tomato plants and rows and rows of all this kind of stuff. And then what are we doing with it? Hey, Mom, what are you going to do with this? So we went out and bought several thousand dozen jars, mason jars, and started putting it all up. Mm-hmm. Well, then I thought, well, if I'm going to put this up, there are other ways of putting it up. And I had so much that I couldn't get in the jars, so we had to get bigger freezers. And I just... We were on top of the hill, and there were no gardens there. There were just cows. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were all gone when we came back to it. And we started planting vegetables and flowers, and I, we came down to Monticello, as a matter of fact, and saw the parterres there. Mm-hmm. And I thought, damn, that's the way to do it up here. So we just put in layers and layers of parterres of the gardening was my part. But I had to be very careful because he was going to drive this seven-foot tractor between the flower beds, and I, he didn't like rhubarb, so he did mow that down. But I had to be very careful about everything else so that we didn't mow that down, too. Mm. So I had to learn about design and distance. And Oh, farmers are the smartest people. Yes. They really are. They have to think of so many things. At any rate, the gardens became seasonal. And it was active when we, when we left. You know, I was in full bloom then, but my son's wife is not a gardener, so that kind of took care of that. So when I got down, we went to Florida and... Don't flower, you don't grow anything in Florida except citrus trees, yes, key limes, calamundins, <laughs> and whatnot, because it's all rock and clay. Mm-hmm. So when I got back here, I thought, gee, I could go back to doing stuff again. Yes, and yes. I had been 54 years as uh, with the Federated Garden Clubs of America, and I thought, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm not going to do that anymore. So I was invited to join the Master Gardener course, which you have to take and you have to swear you will not use it professionally for money sort of thing, but you learn, and we have, every month we still have classes. It was a whole year's program. And I really learned a lot about that. And all that time that I hadn't been gardening, I'd been listening to people talk about these different things, and it all began to come back to me. Mm-hmm. So by the time I really started gardening again, and I must admit I don't do vegetables, but I encourage my daughter, I have a rather nice garden. Yes. In my small little area. And it all came back again, and it, I'm back to Mother Nature. I, where I started, I'm back. And now I have the time, and I don't have to make the time. It's there. This, this is partly making time, but maybe it's a good idea to make time to get back to Mother Nature. Yes. Because there are, I'm sitting here on the patio right now watching Mr. and Mrs. Bluebird fly in, <laughs> in and out of their nest. They go to the grocery store, too, and they get, well, actually, I put out dried worms. Yes. They take turns going in and out of there. And it's just, it is, if you live with nature, you're happy. Yes. Why not be happy? Don't get mad about things. Yes. So, this is my advice. Just enjoy Mother Nature and get along with her. What is the the ad from polio, wasn't it? Yes. Mother Nature. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I remember during the war, we were all eating 
really artificial butter in a bag and you had to squish the little color bag inside it and make it all the same color and then put it, block it back into the ice box. All the things you go through in life and it's so really when you laugh, think about them later. So... Well, I have happy memories with my grandmama. She was a big gardener, too. I mean, they had acres and acres of farmland and forest land and so forth, but she never let anybody touch her garden. She would go in, and she took me as a little kid. I followed her along, and that's how I learned to hate tomatoes. <laughs> it, well, they were considered poisonous, you know, many years ago. Yes, I know, and I just... I didn't like them. Because of the picking of them, I was picking the wrong ones. She knew what to pick, and of course she didn't ask me to pick anything. I was just imitating her, but I would pick the wrong ones, and it took until college before I could even eat ketchup. <laughs> because of that memory. But yes, but so but but my gardening stories are, are life-saving quite literally. She killed a snake that got too close to me with her hoe. Anyway. Speaking of all the things we've done, getting back to nature and all of that, and just taking time to enjoy it. I mean, if, you, if you've got a back porch you can sit on or a deck or uh, go out into a garden that you have, and as long as you're walking around a pond or something uh, and keeping your distance, it's a time to take all of that in and appreciate what we do have. You, you, did you tell me once you were in the Coast Guard? Well, yes, the Coast Guard artillery uh, Shell Point. I was the OXCOM. I was the radio operator. Ah. And talked talk back and forth to the boats out in the bay and things that needed to be done. Oh, you name it. I've done all sorts of stupid things. But <laughs> made me think of something you were talking about. We had a vet who has since died at home that I dearly adored. He was just, he was the most marvelous diagnostician in the world. Mm -hmm. But he was dyslexic. Uh -huh. And he got through, he got through Pennsylvania Veterinary College with dyslexia, mm -hmm. but he said when he was a little boy, his father and grandfather raised sheep out in Hills, Pennsylvania, uh -huh. and they would stick them out there with nothing to do, it was like in with the uh, shepherds when Christ was born. Yes. He had to sit out there all day long and watch the damn sheep, which <laughs> just drove him. <laughs> he just, but because he had to sit and watch them and couldn't do anything else, boy, did he learn about sheep. Mm. And even though he had dyslexia, his, his observations and his common sense, you know, that's another thing that we've lost. Yes, all common the, sense. All the book learning, all the book learning, that's great if you know what, who wrote the book. But it's common sense that's no longer used in this country. And you don't need book learning if you have common sense. Yes. You figure out a big fat hurry when something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've lost. And that's what he had. And he was one of the finest veterinarians in the, the mid-Atlantic area. Uh -huh. it was fantastic. But he had dyslexia. We don't have to fight that kind of thing. Well, maybe that's what we're fighting right now. Maybe we are, yes. You know, I taught an actor once in, in New York on camera acting. I had a lot of students who went on to make national commercials. You see them now all the time doing it. Uh -huh. There's a funny story about that. I'll tell one. It's a grandmother who happened to be the head, oh, it's quite appropriate, actually. She was a head nurse, this is years ago now, but she was a head nurse at one of the uh, New York hospitals in the emergency room, head nurse. So she knew her stuff. So wow. in her profession, yep. 
She knew and was confident about everything. But when she had to get up in front of a camera and have me direct her and teach her how to act on camera, she was terrified. So I'm going to, anyway, she overcame that. I directed her. She was a sponge. And again, once she realized, and I would often say to her, you know, you walk into life and death situations all the time and you keep a cool head and calm and you deliver. She says, well, yes, I have, I have to. And I said, well, then here you are. It's the same thing. It's just for a TV commercial. Well, again, skipping ahead. One day I get a call after I had, uh, she had finished the class and she called, she said she had a question because she thinks the uh, the commercial company had made a mistake. And I said, what? And she says, well, they paid me more more than once for the one commercial. And I said, well, how many checks did you get? And she said, oh, about a dozen. And I said, well, and I won't mention her name, but <laughs> I said, well, dear, remember when I taught you about residual checks? She says, oh, yes, yes, residual checks. And I said, well... All those checks come to you every time your commercial airs. And she just, oh, and I said, oh, and she says, so what do I do? I said, take them right to the bank and deposit them. And so, (laughs) but you know, and I have the wonderful, such wonderful memories of her and other students. But back to the dyslexia, I had a student who had that and clearly he was having some trouble reading the cue cards. I didn't know. It's not like I, you know. And then it occurred to me to talk to him after class. He told me the the situation. I said, well, I'll give you the script the night before. You work on it. Come in. And he he just did marvelous things. And he's out there making movies, too. So anyway, it is all about we rise to the occasion, you know. And I'm not saying everyone does, but I think everyone can if they believe in themselves and each other. I've talked enough. What do you think, Yvette? Well, I was looking at this little high school boy on television last night who's learned how to do something that nobody else really knows how to do. Mm -hmm. He can turn it off right, and he's so thrilled that he's able to help the cause. Yes. I think you need to be driven by something. Yes. That that appeals to you, and you don't know whether it appeals to you or not at all. I mean, it's just like, oh, well, it's just like the nurse. You just don't. Realize what's in there. We all have a talent. Yes. But we don't have time to use it and enjoy it. And I, I just, uh, I was so proud of that little boy. Honestly, I tell you, I sit and watch the news and I just cry at mm. the ingenuity and the creativity of the young people. Yes. But they've never been given a chance to do that. They go to, they have to read this book and that book and the other thing. They don't have a chance to, like the vet did, sit out there and just look. Mm-hmm. And think, mm-hmm. and that's how you create. And yes. your brain grows like an onion. Yes, uh, it layers, and you add all these things, and all of a sudden, there's a use for it. Yes, and it makes you feel so good that you can offer something. I, I, I just, but it does take being smacked in the head with a two by eight. I'm afraid. Yes, too so often it my does. Little friend talking to me. Yes. You know, I love Blue Jays. I had three different males that come, but I don't know what a what a female, you know, in the bird species, as you know, of course, the male is is gloriously, beautifully colored so he can distract any adversaries, any, any harm from the female who is a little more subdued in color. What does a, a female Blue Jay look like? Because I have three big males. I'm just, I don't know what the female looks like. Do you have any idea? She looks like a, yes, she looks like a tie-dye that's been overdone. Ah. You know, you put it, you put patterns on it. Sure. And you keep washing it out and freeze the fade. 
That's what the lady looks like. She just looks faded. Oh. She matches all the stuff that's in her nest. I see. Yes. She, she doesn't have color at all. I, that's like the, the duck, the mallard duck. Uh -huh. The ladies don't have any color on them at all. So the, they're, the, they're the homebodies, and the papa is the go-getter, but yes. the ladies are just fade, fade into Mother Nature. That's her protection. Yes. And that's true of all. Well, it was true of women, but now they've got women's lives, and I don't know. They don't fade very well anymore. <laughs> Listen, we do need to go soon. This has been so uplifting, but uh, just give us a little hint, because this show has been about you and your life, so people know part of what you come from. Your father, he like... Wrote books and made movies. Yes, exactly. He was, uh, he was uh, the... Uh, sorry, when he was... Um, I guess he was a senior in high school. I forget when you were an eagle uh, scout. Daddy was the number one boy scout in the United States one day when Teddy Roosevelt was working on the Panama Canal. Yes. And because he was the first, Boy Scouts were very good in those days. Yes. They didn't have the problems they have now. Yes. So his prize was crossing the Isthmus of Panama with Teddy Roosevelt. Not bad. And he just <laughs> fell in love with Latin America. Uh -huh. So he, after a couple of years, and he did a two-year in and two-year out at Harvard in geology. He went back and wrote books about the interior of Latin America and wrote did movies and advertised, mm -hmm. wrote articles and ran magazines and whatnot. So she was, this is why I never had the kind of normal upbringing that most young girls do. Mm -hmm. I had a 14 perfectly normal to me, mm -hmm. but they, they did their thing, and mm -hmm. it was a great addition to the world. Yes. Okay. That's a good place to end our conversation today. We're going to definitely have you back, Yvette. I miss talking to you more often than we have of late, but we can do it on radio and make everybody happy. How's that? I'm agreeable as long as I don't get boring. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine you ever being boring. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking to and more delightfully listening to Yvette LaVar Graham. Do I, do I pronounce that all these years? I'm still saying, you, how do you say your name for me? I should say, look, Dad called it Lavar. Lavar, okay. Well, it's good enough. Back in France, they thought it was Lavar. Uh, so, okay. Thank you so very much for being on the show and wish you all the very best, you know, staying healthy, staying home, staying in your garden, and uh, good luck to, with the Blue Jays as well, okay? I thank you. My, absolutely my pleasure. Knowing you is, is a wonderful thing. We'll talk again soon. All right. Bye now. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. When we first saw the best exotic marigold hotel, we were surrounded by a sea of blue hair. Not punk dye job blue, but the natural old age gray kind. And boy, did they love this story. Seven elderly Brits succumb to promotions of affordable luxury retirement living in India. Predictably, upon arrival, their accommodations offer less than the luxury depicted, setting the stage for a rich tableau of reaction, story, and experience. This film features prime British acting royalty. Dame Judi Dench, Dame Maggie Smith, Bill Nye, and Tom Wilkinson, to name a few. Not everyone may recognize these names, but suffice it to say that their mastery in the art of character would make utterly fascinating their reading of a dictionary. And... They have been given a wonderfully sensitive and comedic story to complement their considerable talents. Sure, the storyline of aging, hope, 
disappointment staying positive and facing death turns out older viewers. So, not about the young? Of course it is. Time marches forward and all can thoroughly enjoy contemplation of what is current for some and future for the rest. Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. During this time of the coronavirus, COVID-19, I decided, until further notice, to dedicate the Reasonable Voices radio program to reminders of how we Americans have weathered many hardships before and came through them all stronger together. However, this is not a happy talk show that will ignore or deny reality. We all know we're in a bind, but we have each other and we've got to stick together and that's all there is to it. And everyone has a story and I invite you to email me at voice at gmail.com so that if you have a story that you want to tell that helps us, inspires us, and encourages us to go forward and thrive and survive and all that, then just email me and, and uh, include some contact information and I'll be in touch. Again, this is Marcello Rolando. As I said, we're in a bind, so I invited my good friend, Yvette Lavere Graham, who is walking history. I love saying that about her because it's true. And at a beautiful 90 years old, living proof of living a good life. Among other things, Yvette Lavere Graham is a great-grandmother and a master gardener. So we're going to talk about a lot, past, present, and future, but for now, welcome, Yvette. How are you doing today? I am doing very well, thank you. Like everybody else, I had to get over something. But the most important thing, when I listen to the news and I know what's going on, thank God I'm an American. Yes. We are a wonderful people. Yes, we are, indeed. And all the things you... You know, we're seeing, I know they're giving us a lot of bad news, but at the same time, we are seeing what people are doing, Americans in particular, doing for other Americans and sharing ventilators for Pete's sake. And my goodness, the doctors, the nurses, the medical staff, the truck drivers delivering our food, the pickers picking the food. It's just huge thing. And the White House is now saying, don't go to the grocery store or to the pharmacy unless absolutely necessary. And... Where does one find consolation in that? Uh, because I always feel something like this either throws you out the window and, and locks you out, or it, it shows us and yourself who you are for real. What are your thoughts, Yvette? Well, when you get to be 90 years old and into your 91st year, you've seen an awful lot. Yes. And we've been through an awful lot. And that's why I say I'm glad I'm American. But you know, Americans, the only really true Americans are Indians. That's All right. wonderful doctors and things that we have have come from other countries. But because we are a free country and we have the best of everything, the best of everything comes from all over the world. It's a melding. Yes. And I think that's what happens as you get older. All of your thoughts and all the things that you did in the past and what you saw is a melding in your mind. And if you're smart, you use that today and then you can get through not going to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's a great point that you make. I, I'd like to think that some of the media coverage has 
understood that because we are seeing all nationalities. It's difficult to get around it. I mean, even if you wanted to, Americans are have every look, shape and color and shade and hue and political persuasion because we come, as you say, we are a product of the world. I love that. It's true. As you say, what you see out there, on the outside, maybe we all look different, but on the inside, we are a very loving people. If yes. you travel, which I have done, as many people have done, when you get down to, I'm a nature kid. Remember that song, There Was a Boy, A Strange Enchanting Boy? Yeah. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, it's true. Inside us all, we are a loving people. Yes. We don't get sidetracked by something else. Yes. And we all are trying so hard. For instance, I talked to my own doctor again this morning, and she um, is over at the hospital because they needed her. She took a course last weekend, and so they called on her today. And her nurse is going to be called in again tomorrow. Everybody is trying to chip in. Why is it that we have to be head, hit in the head with a two-by-eight to get back to Mother Nature and take care and think about other people? You know, it's it's true. I have to say, I, I do think we Americans get so used to the convenience and we are so busy rushing to whatever it is we're always rushing to that we sort of skim along the surface on a lot of things. And, and sometimes nature and events and politics kind of have to slap us in the face before we realize, oh, oh, we cannot take all of this for granted. We are, the globe is a village, as has often been said, but we certainly in this uh, country are, are a bunch of neighborhoods. It doesn't matter what the state border or the county line might be. We are affected by everything that's happening to us, and not just now. And, and, and you know, that's a good segue. We ought to give um, the audience some idea of why I call you walking history. Because I wanted to talk to you because you have lived such a life, you and your family tree. We should shake your family tree a little bit. Maybe we'll oh, do it this way. But you know, I remember you once telling me about your connection with the Bethesda Naval Hospital, why you were there way back when, and what you yeah. were doing for. Tell us a little about that because one of the things you did was you wrote letters, but there are a lot of things you did there. What, what did you do? during the war, and which war, because you've been living through so many of them, at the Bethesda Naval Hospital, what what were you doing? Well, again, I was hit in the face by a two-by-eight, I guess. My first husband, who was class of 48 West Point, uh, was one of the front lines when they went into Korea. Mm. And they were not prepared, and there was a problem. And they had to evacuate, but they needed somebody behind and cover their horses, and that was my husband. Mm. So, uh, as a result, she was missing in action all through the war until the prisoners of war came back and said what had happened to him. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know anything, and being that uh, Bethesda was there, and they were bringing back a lot of the boys that were being beat up in, in that Korean War, I went out to see for information to see if anybody had known him or been around him or whatnot. And when you got into that um, bay of beds and all these young kids are, you know, sort of, some are looking around and some aren't and some are making jokes and some aren't, I thought, oh, we've got to do something about this. Yes. So I just went, I went every week and 
whatever needed to be done that a layman can do that has no medical training at all. But we, <laughs> we well, I hadn't picked the toys. Well, you know, you have these dormers or dormitories or whatever yes. they call this space. Yes. Um, and I would take them all paddle balls. Uh-huh. Ping pong yes. balls and ping pong paddles. And you know the airplanes that you stick together with little balls of wood and you can shoot them all over the place. When the nurses saw me coming, they all, oh my gosh, here she comes again. <laughs> but it brought such joy to them because one end could get in touch with the other end and whoever was in the middle would try to interfere and they would try and touch it. If their leg was in the cast, they'd swing it around sideways so that they could hit the plane. The wonderful spirit of these guys, you know, if you don't have a sense of humor, yes. you really are whole, and you had to bring it out, and we are we are worried to death. This is a terrible thing. Yes. But look at the way we're coping with it. When you get frightened, you don't think. Yes. When you get laughing, you not only think, you create a situation that relieves everybody's tensions, and that's half the battle. Yes, exactly. Yes, a lot of people are not making it. But I would like to know some of the figures of the people who are old. I know, I, I, I'm supposed to be old, but I forget about it. Um, old people do develop things. I don't. I swim four miles a week. But those, those <laughs> people are run down. Yes. And, and of course they're prone to all sorts of, of situations. And any weak spot is where your health will fail you. Yes. And so I'm wondering how many of those people who we have lost, and it's always hard to lose anybody. Anybody mm. at all, it's hard to lose. Yes. I'm just wondering how much of this is natural, you know? Yes. It's well, you know, it, it, it's true, and 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 it is it is true that this is a war, and it's a war against an enemy that we can't right. really see. I remember my mother telling me once when I was a child how much I I said how much I love the wind, I love seeing it, and she. And she said, well, you don't actually see the wind. You see what it does, however. And I always remember that, you know, you see the result of the wind. And this is what we are battling. We're in a war against something we don't see. We can only see the result of it. And we have to deal with the results. And and it requires courage, of course. It also requires gratitude, appreciation for all that we've always had. We just sometimes take it for granted. And now... In a time like this, we stand out on the front lawn and singing the national anthem and and drive-bys for happy birthdays and anniversaries. And I mean, you know, we are a marvelous people. What can I say? But, you know, in any war, as, as you know all too well, in any war, there are casualties and there will be casualties. There have already been. And we're going to have to help those families that are left behind grieving. And many families have lost several members with how about um, one thing in particular, a time when um, you told me about holidays at the Barclay in New York City. New York City is really challenged now. Tell us, uh, were there some happy times uh, you can remind us of uh, for you at, at the Barclay in New York City and New York in general? I so many friends there, and of course I'm worried about them, and I try to get in touch with them, but you tell us. You're the guest. <laughs> grow up in New York City. I went to school on Long Island, boarding school, because mommy and daddy were out of the country. Uh, so much of it, oh, I thought that was a normal upbringing, you know. Yes. I, I didn't know that people grew up any differently. But New York was a wonderful, because it was a whole lot smaller than it is now. Yes. But my, one of my granddaughters has just recently moved, within, within the year, has just recently moved 
south to uh, North Carolina, and I just thank God so much. Mm. She's going to be married in May, if it's possible. She's going to have a big wedding, and I don't know whether we're going to make it or not. But New York was just like a little, small town. Well, they did have all these little villages. We yes. We different villages. And when, when Mommy and Daddy were in from their trips, we stayed at the Barclay. And I, it was just, during the war, and one thing that I do remember mostly, <laughs> I love candy sticks. Uh-huh. And when I would be brought in for the weekend, Mommy and Daddy would always have breakfast sent up to us, and I would always have the biggest bowl of figs and cream. And if I don't remember anything else about the Barclays, that's what it was. Yeah. That was my time. I just thrilled it. As a matter of fact, after we were married, uh, and I was married in New York, we, our, after the wedding we went to the Barclay, and they had gotten papers mixed up. <laughs> and we sashayed in after a wedding with my lovely flowers and everything, looking bright and groomy and brand new hat and dress. And they said, this is Kurt, or Kath, well, let's see, I guess he was a lieutenant back then. Well, we don't, ha- we can't find your reservation. <laughs> <laughs> they said, well, and we're full. Well, I mean, we can't sashay in, and we were going to have to sashay out. But they were so concerned there. Apparently, they own a small hotel outside on, uh, on the on the shore there someplace. Uh-huh. I, I don't even remember. Good God, that was, what, 60 years ago? 60 years ago. 90, 40. <laughs> we're aging while we're on the show they called out there and we drove out and we had the most gorgeous evening with a little patio off of our suite looking at the birds flying in and out it was the most gorgeous evening in the world and that's another memory of the park it's yes. full of wonderful wonderful people yes and I'm so proud of uh, Governor Cuomo I, I met his father a couple of times when but uh, he's doing an amazing job in an incredibly challenging time. And, you know, you mentioned your parents. But t- tell us a bit about, uh, what is it, I'll walk a mile for a Campbell lady? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Confess, now, confess. You know, that, was back in the, that was back in the days when one smoked. Yes. And, all, and, you know, they had all these celebrities and people that would, I would walk a mile for a camel, and then they would say so-and-so would walk a mile for a camel. Yes. Well, somehow they got a hold of my mother, so... Alice LaVar would walk a mile for a camel, and they had a picture of her with her foot up on a juca bench and a zebra, not jaguar skin hanging behind her. She had on a pissed helmet and her, her pants and high boots and a 45 on her hip with a cigarette in her finger while she smiled out at the audience. <laughs> 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 it was about as much like my mother as a cat is. It was ridiculous, but it really... It was very amusing, and it ran in the old days. Rodecabure. Yes, yes. And um, one time when my young, my oldest son was quite ill in Washington, came back, and he was he had to stay home for the rest of the season in bed. So they sent a nurse, not a nurse, a teacher over to him, and she looked at the picture one day, and she said, "Oh, who's that?" And said, "Oh, that's my grandmother." <laughs> and she said, "What? Your grandmother?" <laughs> <laughs> Yes. That's right. He didn't. If we get back to Mother Nature and do what she, I, I have been well since graduating, and the violets are in full bloom. So I just go out in the front lawn here of my little piece of paradise, 
in a uh, violet patch and just sit and eat violets. They're delicious and they're also good for you. Mm. They really are. Mm-hmm. But they've got a little crunch, a little crunch to them. So I didn't grow those. They just came up. God put them there and they just come up and I eat them. And we just have to have, this is a good time to stop doing things. Yes. And getting bored. I have heard, well, this is what my husband said when we came back after the Second World War. Uh, he said, we've got to go home and have the kids get bored. That's when your mind works. Yes. That's when you look around and you think of things. And I guess, fortunately, I'm old enough now that I don't have to worry about too many other things. Mm. I could enjoy what's going on. Yes. Well, you know, it, it's good to pause and allow your brain to think. Just to think, to, just to imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we race so much, and of course I'm guilty of that, just like anybody else. But I do know, and I've often said, some of the best directing I've ever done of any show was on days that I was so exhausted. How am I going to go in there and think and be creative and get actors and singers and uh, to, to get all of this beautiful stuff? I would simply say, well, God, you're going to have to do the rehearsal today because I am just exhausted. They were always my best rehearsals and my best work. Sometimes you just have to get out of the way. Listen, we're going to take a short break. We are speaking to the ever vivacious and humorous and lovely, wonderful friend of mine. I'm fortunate enough to say Yvette Laverre Graham. And we're going to come back. We're going to talk about what she does day to day during this time. Gardening and whatever, the lover of nature, faith in God. Maybe we'll talk a bit about her father, who was born in Richmond, Virginia, by the way, in 1898. William LaVar. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, enjoy Watch Fire Music, featuring vocal artist Julia Wade singing Beautiful from her new CD, Sunday Morning. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Yes, the Lord is greatly to be praised. Honor and majesty are before him. Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. The wild, wipeout character ride roars honor. What is it about the North and South, whether Korea's, Vietnam's, or our own house divided at the Mason-Dixon line? 
Is the fault in our stars, or are we so easily blinded by fast-talking flash-in-the-pan Pied Pipers stealing our children's future? Our universe is constantly revealing its secrets, but failing to listen, we risk missing the wisdom of harmonious unity. Life, lives, and living matter more without repetitive clutter, overwhelming data devoid of complete and accurate information, outdated even before we tap our screens. We talk a lot about the right, but dishonor the correct. Anchoring our babies and elderly to our one-day point swings rather than solutions to gender equality, laughing while black, crippling student debt, we leave five million Americans living with Alzheimer's in 2015. For many years after his assassination, the media honored President John F. Kennedy's death, if not life, every November 22nd. Now, in email land, most of us haven't a clue who he was or, arguably, the profound effect his assassination had on TV news and the American voting psyche. In the 1960s, most welcomed the change John Kennedy brought to politics, to politicians, and to America's civil and voting reality, posthumously transforming Jim Crow into voter ID, the KKK into border security, and Lincoln's Solid South into the 2000 blood-red Republican Party with a tea-stained appendage. Naturally, we honor the memory of those murdered on September 11, 2001, with roll calls, bells tolling, and moments of silence. But how often do we honor those sent to be maimed, brain-damaged, or killed for our oligarchy of war profiteers on corporate welfare? Now we need to decide who and what will we honor in 2016. West Coast families are fleeing unrelenting record home, land, and life-destroying fires, drought, and water shortage. Trumped-up corporate-owned conservative right-wing extremists, Fox Talk Radio, and even MSNBC can only regurgitate DT's Strom und Drang, all while Nestle sucks the H2O out of California. Are we so easily distracted by echo chambers of email servers while Ashley Madison expedites our family values with click-a-cheat? Or are those Americans who bother to exercise their voting privilege still too smart to be slimed by oil-slick GOP puppets? Remember, Trump may not be just an obnoxious, dishonorable, self-serving smokescreen hiding the wall closing in on brown immigrants while Black Lives Matter taunts Bernie and Hillary. It is vital that we listen to victims of Kay and Wall Streets who still choose the Donald for the POTUS. For that kind of thinking is far more dangerous to freedom, justice for all, and equal economic opportunity than any desperate-for-power cokehead. The truth's Achilles' heel is its inability to impose itself on those preferring to salivate over the political party making the most noise with the least ideas. Don't you suppose somewhere in the darkness Karl Rove is laughing at us? Or is he crying over spilt Trump milking it? Our honor is steeped in our national self-examination of our political priorities and who we choose to elect 
and to memorialize. On the morning of August 29, 2005, Katrina slammed into our Gulf Coast. When it made landfall, it was a Category 3 hurricane with sustained winds of 100 to 140 miles per hour and was 400 miles wide. Yet how many times have we as a nation honored the 1,833 American fatalities? How many even remember that one million Americans were displaced by our Katrina gridlocked federal, state, and city governments? It is not institutions, streets, buildings, bridges, sinkholes, mudslides, or storms that dishonor our potential and our character. It's the non-voter, the lascivious family values hypocrite, the blind with greed CEO, and the craven conservative con artists posing as patriots. The worldwide free fall, like our Great Recession, is about character. And for the poor and middle class, neither was free will. Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, though total opposites in character, are being used as conduits for extreme gut-wrenching displeasure with the status quo. If we don't get that that's the universe talking to us, honor this. Civilization doesn't guarantee a perfect world. But civility grants great ensemble opportunity for our human family to create life that matters better each day for our entire rainbow. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Com website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.